Sexual attraction is attraction on the basis of sexual desire or the quality of arousing such interest. Sexual appeal or attractiveness is an individual's ability to attract the sexual or erotic interests of other people and evidently is a factor in sexual selection or mate choice. Now, what happens when neither means much to you? What the fuckery is asexuality? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadej August, your host. If this is your first time with us, welcome, and here's what you can expect. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about, a series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding, the very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss, Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstreamed, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you for being curious, open, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is Brie Castellini. Brie Castellini is the film community manager for Seed and Spark, a graduate-level adjunct professor for digital media, and an award-winning independent filmmaker and, regrettably, a podcaster. Womp, womp, womp. Those are her words. I'm not hating. (laughs) Brie is known for the 2017 short film Ace and Anxious, available on YouTube. Now, I have seen that film, and I can't recommend it enough. Brie, welcome, and thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm just so happy that you are going to enlighten us. So LGBTQIA, the A, does it stand for asexual by any chance? It does. There, there is a lot of discourse on the internet about whether or not it stands for ally, um, but it's the, the common understanding of the um, initialism is that it stands for asexuality or, and or aromanticism. Okay, so what? Uh, yes, that's great because I've heard that term thrown around a lot as well, and I believe there's a distinction just based on what there I is. think, it, just even the words, right? So, what the fuckery is asexual, and you apparently identify as such. I do. So, the first thing that I want to say is that asexuality, like anything, is a spectrum. So, my particular Brie Castellini brand of asexuality is not necessarily the only version, Um, but asexuality as a sexual identity is defined as a lack of sexual desire. And within the spectrum, there are a lot of different sort of like Uh, more specific identities. So some people just go by the blank term asexual, you know, I am asexual um, and I don't experience sexual desire. There is um, what's referred to as uh, gray asexual, which is somebody who experiences sexual desire occasionally, but very rarely. Um, Demisexuality is described as um, a 
asexual until you develop a romantic connection with someone, a very deep interpersonal connection. Um, but until then, you still feel no sexual desire. And even at that point, you may not. Um, and then, you know, there are a million other tiny little fracturings of like the asexual experience. But at the end of the day, there is some um, combination of <laughs> like, I do not experience sexual desire to some degree. So if you do not experience, experience sexual desire to some degree, you are considered part of the asexual umbrella. And so said umbrella, when you say you experience no sexual desire, some would go, think it's a medical condition. That's where the mind goes right away. Is that, have you, have you been, has this been suggested to you that maybe you have to get yourself checked medically? So there's, there, there, there are definitely those who will use that. Um, and certainly like, uh, feeling a, like having um, no, lack, a lack of sexual desire can spawn from a traumatic experience or some kind of medical condition, but the identity of asexuality is also separate from that. Like I just simply do not experience sexual attraction. That is not something that I experience and there's no medical reason why I should or shouldn't. Like the biology all works. Like uh, the sensation of, you know, things happening in the genital area still exists for asexual people, uh, but it's a matter of like, looking at another person and saying, dang, I want to get down with that person immediately. Like it's, it's the, it's the other people in the equation that is usually where asexuality comes into play. So, you know, in the same way that like, I know that I'm bi because I can look at a whole spectrum of genders and be aesthetically interested in them. The same way that a, a, a gay person would look at somebody who identifies as the same gender as them and they're like, yes. And then somebody else, they're like, mm, not for me. It's the same thing with asexuality, um, but just on a sexual level. So the romantic and sexual uh, spectrums are separate. So you can feel romantic desire, just not sexual desire, uh, and vice versa. Right. So is asexuality considered a, a sexual orientation then? It is, it is. yes. There, there, of course, there's always discourse, um, but within the asexual community uh, and the broader queer community, uh, it is considered a, a sexual orientation. How do you feel about being uh, part of the whole LGBTQI, maybe A, umbrella? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I feel good. I mean, the, the LGBTQIA plus community is just for people who are, you know, not part of the quote unquote norm, you know, like, I'm sure there's a better way to explain it than that. But yeah, it's all non-normative. Exactly. Okay, it all falls. Yeah, and, and like a asexuality is not heterosexuality, and therefore it is a part of the, the queer spectrum. Now, does this mean, and uh, forgive me if I get personal and do let me know if I'm going to... No, hey, I came on here to talk about asexuality. Bring it on. Okay. Have you never had sex? Oh, I have. I'm in a, a long-term monogamous sexually active relationship. Come again? <laughs> I am in a long-term uh, monogamous sexually active relationship. So by, by uh, all accounts, I, I am in a quote-unquote heterosexual relationship, but I identify as bi, so... It, the, it could have been gender of my part. It, it could have been a woman. Um, and I do on occasion have sex. But m what I get out of sex is, um, is different than what I understand other people to get out of it. I have could have gone my entire life without having it. 
it literally doesn't occur to me. Uh, I guess that's also something that we should cover is that like the uh, people's opinions on sex and sexual content differ. And this is true, not just within the asexually, asexual community, but in any community, but there are um, asexual people who have sex for the like sensation of it. And the partner doesn't really matter. A lot of uh, asexual people masturbate because they like the sensation of it, the stimulation, but not, they don't require an additional person. Uh, some asexual people are sex repulsed, which means that they are repulsed by sex. They don't want to have it ever and find the entire concept disgusting. Uh, there are some people who have sex in committed relationships if they happen to be in a relationship with uh, a partner who enjoys sex. Um, and so that's that's the situation I'm in. Uh, some people choose to be in relationships where they are in a romantic relationship by all intents and purposes, but do not have sex. So, you know, there's a whole, again, spectrum within that. Um, so I, I am considered sex neutral in, in terms of the the like spectrum of how we see sex and experience sex. It doesn't occur to me. Um, I don't it, like w need it. Uh, I don't seek it out. But um, my partner is allosexual, A-L-L-O sexual, which means he does experience sexual desire and he enjoys it quite a lot. And I enjoy that he enjoys it. And so on occasion, we will do the dang thing. And, um, you know, I, I just have to get different things out of it. And, you know, that I assume is true for any sexual relationship where people get slightly different things out of it. Some people prefer, you know, more... Um, I, I always want to call it pre-gaming. That's not the word. What is the word? Foreplay. 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 You mean foreplay. Yeah. See, I think of it as pre-gaming sex, of course. Um, but yeah, so some people prefer like the foreplay element. Some people really like a drawn out middle section. Some people really like like the post-coital cuddling. Um, and some so I, like I kind of... Bank in the ass. Exactly. Like there's, you know, a huge variety of how people enjoy sex and what comes before and after. And asexual people exist within that spectrum as well. I just don't experience sexual desire. So that's not something that occurs to me. But there are things about sex that I enjoy. And uh, I will say that like my particular proclivities are the before and after parts, you know, I like kissing and I like rolling around and I like the cuddling afterwards and feeling very close to a person that I love very deeply. It's the middle part that I could give or take. Hmm. So when did you discover that you can refer to yourself as asexual? Like what happened? Uh, I, I was about, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about mm, 21. No, I was 22. I was 22 because I was living in New York. Uh, I was uh, in graduate school. Um, I was three, two or three years into my current relationship. So that, that was a whole uh, experience of coming out as asexual within a long-term monogamous relationship that we happened to be long distance in at the time. That was, that was something that we definitely had to, to explore. Um, but yeah, so I, I had, we'd been having sex our entire relationship, but like something wasn't right about it. It wasn't bad, obviously, you know, I'd like love my partner, but like something just wasn't connecting. And I had been feeling really bad about myself. I'd never masturbated as a kid. I didn't know that was a thing girls could do until I was in college and all the girls in my dorm were like, what do you mean you don't have a sex toy? And I was like, what do you mean you watch porn? And it was just, it was mind blowing to me. It genuinely did not occur to me. So like I, you know, I was going through a lot of that and like exploring all these things that I didn't realize were even options because it literally hadn't considered, like I had not considered it. Uh, I saw a post on Tumblr where somebody was describing the, um, like what asexuality was. And I started doing some research and I was like, holy shit, there's a word for this. I'm not broken. I'm not doing something wrong. I just, don't have the thing that is assumed that you have in all of the guides that you read. <laughs> so I, yeah, I was about, I think 22. Yeah. 22 about to turn 23. 
Is your current partner the same partner that you mm -hmm. had your first? Yeah, it's going on seven and a half years. And was he your first, quote unquote, yes. penetrate penetrative sex? He was. First okay. for most things, to be honest. I was above the belt for every other relationship I was in. Because again, didn't occur to me. Like, I knew, like, intellectually, sex was supposed to happen at some point. But, you know, most of my dating occurred either, like, really casually. So, like, I went on a date with somebody or um, was in high school. So, like, it didn't come up really so I never really had to engage with it and also I certainly didn't bring it up because I didn't care <laughs> in your family did you get that talk you know the birds and the bees talk yeah, and I did around uh, third grade I think that that didn't trigger anything or spark any um, I mean you know I was in third grade I I got the talk a little earlier because I got my period much earlier than most of the girls in my class so I was like eight years old when I got the talk and I was not interested at all <laughs> there was like I, I wouldn't even wear a bra for the first like year or two that I had boobs that definitely required a bra for the amount of sports that I played at the time. Um, so yeah, I was, I, I was not interested at all, but I, I think that was more of just like a, I was a kid and a tomboy reaction than anything else. And then it never really came up again. Like, uh, you know, I understood how all the mechanics worked and I was like, that sounds gross. <laughs> and then didn't really think of it anymore. And by the time I think that like my classmates were starting to experience things, you know, I, I come from a fairly conservative area. So like nobody was openly talking, talking about that. And so I assumed it just wasn't happening. What I now understand looking back at some conversations I had in high school, I realized, oh, I, I think people were definitely doing some stuff. It just never came up around me. I was, you know, I guess naive. Uh, I was certainly not paying attention because I didn't care. <laughs> that was not something that I was interested in or even thinking about. Um, but yeah, I, I just assumed nobody was doing it. And then college happened and I only dated very casually. So I never got very far with anybody anyway. So just never came up. You sort of mentioned earlier on that you're also, you call, you refer to yourself as bisexual as well. Have Techn you the technical term is biromantic because I don't experience sexuality, but I don't like the, I, I don't like calling it that. So I just say bi, but yeah, I do, I do uh, have attraction to multiple genders, two or more genders. Have you experienced being with other genders? No, actually, because I didn't realize I was bi until like a year and a half after I realized I was asexual. I saw a uh, photo spread of Tessa Thompson and like something in my brain went, oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> but again, it was another thing where looking back, oh, a lot of things made sense because um, are, you, are you familiar with the term compulsory heterosexuality? No, I'm not. So, compul so compulsory heterosexuality is the sort of assumption that you that things are heterosexual until proven otherwise and um the, this is an ex experience a lot of bisexual people have or pansexual etc have where because they do have an attraction to um the gender that they are not they assume that that's it because bisexuality is not very well represented especially in like media for younger people so um because i always was boy crazy you know i always liked the boys uh, anytime I saw a girl that was kind of cute, I would like literally have this exact conversation with myself where I would say, she's really cute. Do I think that because I'm a lesbian or because I just like can recognize attractive people? Well, I like boys. I have a crush on that guy. So I must be straight. It's fine. And but the, because I only understood sexuality and like attraction as a binary and because I knew that I did like men uh, and I you know identify as a woman, I was like, okay, well, I must be straight because <laughs> I didn't realize that there was a combination version of this. And so I had repressed like attraction to other genders simply because I was certain that I liked men. 
to a certain extent. So I was like, all right, well then that must be what I am. <laughs> and it wasn't until later I was like, wait, there, there are, there's more than two options. Maybe you're one of those options. So it's, it was, it was a lot of just a lack of representation and education. Like I knew that sex happened. Um, and I knew that the word lesbian was thrown around on the playground very derogatorily. And I don't think I met a bisexual identifying person until like late college at best. Like I pretty much only knew people on the binary. And so it just, again, when you don't see it, when nobody <laughs> presents that to you, when you don't see characters in TV that identify and like openly identify, because usually in TV it was like somebody dated men and then all of a sudden they started dating women and there was no in between. And it was just like, oh, I realized I was gay. <laughs> there was no, oh, I, I actually like both. So, you know, I only understood my own self on a binary. I had the same experience with religion. I didn't realize that you could not believe in God until someone said, oh, I'm an atheist. And I said, what's that? What does that mean? word, there's a language. Exactly. Yeah, not having a vocabulary for your own identity is really frustrating and can make you feel like you're going crazy. And as soon as you have the vocabulary, so many things retroactively make sense. And that's certainly been my experience with sexuality or the lack thereof, as it turns out. So Tessa Thompson would be above the belt or below the belt? <laughs> I mean, it depends on what she wants on that particular moment. Uh, oh you know, my. depends on our relationship. <laughs> um, I mean, like if if I had my way, everything would be above the belt. That that's really all that I care about. But you know, depending on how important it is to my partner that below the belt things occur, I'm flexible. I'm open to it. Right. So your current, um, how did you come out to, to him and, and did he understand and what was that like for him? Yeah, it was definitely, it, that was a rough couple of months because we were, we, we were both in graduate school, me in New York, him in Scotland. So we were not only long distance, but we were long distance five hours apart in different countries. So we didn't see, we saw each other three, four times over the course of like a year and a half. And so, you know, we were, I think, six months into that when I realized all this stuff was going on. So I wrote him a four page, like essentially sexuality dissertation where I did a bunch of research and I like pulled quotes from like the Asexuality Visibility Network website that like explained some things and like cited sources. And I would like copy and paste those and say, okay, so I, that I have this thing. I don't think that's true. And then like, I just sort of broke down like things I had learned about myself, things that I had learned about the asexual community and how I saw it changing or not changing as it turned out um, our relationship. And I was like, after you read this, send me a video call. Like I'll be up late tonight. And he did. And we talked and, you know, after a couple of months, like he came and visited me and we talked some more. Uh, and then things just went like, basically back to normal because our relationship hasn't actually changed all that much. Um, it just, my experience of it has changed a lot because I had a lot of expectations of what like other people were telling me that uh, certain things were supposed to feel like or things that I was supposed to like innately know if it was right, blah, blah, blah. And once I kind of let those expectations go that were coming at me externally, I started to enjoy sex more because I no longer had someone else's expectation in my relationship. I just had mine. You know, I could just experience everything as new and figure out what I liked, not what I was supposed to like. So do you find your, your partner attractive? Are you sexually attracted to him? Uh, not sexually, because I'm not sexually attracted to anyone. Um, I'm romantically attracted to him. I'm aesthetically attracted to him. He's a very handsome boy. He's got a nice big beard, very Scottish, you know, look to him. 
Um, he's actually not my traditional type. I used to date like very tall guys with small heads and big noses. And he's like average height, big head, small nose. But I don't know, something about going against type, I think really works for me. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I find him very attractive. I find him, I find him, you know, handsome. I find lots of people handsome, but like the sexual part of the desire that I feel for anyone that I am attracted to, it just is not there. Is it, is it a chore then to have sex? Because again, it was at the beginning because each time I was, it was like, I was taking a test that I hadn't studied for. And I was like, I should know all of this stuff. Um, but now it's just a matter of like, Ooh, what do I want to do tonight? What, what feels good in my body? What do I want to explore today? Hmm. So you mentioned aromantics. Mm -hmm. That's not you. No. So uh, I will be the first to admit that I definitely don't have as strong of an understanding of the aromantic community. They are uh, aromantic and asexual communities tend to run in the same arenas. Um, many people identify as both. The uh, One of the asexual educators and activists uh, identifies as both. So she'd be a good person if you wanted to follow up interview with. Um, but as I... Yasmin Benoit. Um, I can send you her her name if you're curious about her. Um, I don't I don't have her Twitter at the top of my head, but she's she's one of the biggest voices in asexuality and aromanticism. Um, but base level like dictionary definition is um, everything I just said, but on the romantic side. So aromantic people do not experience romantic attraction. They can experience strong like platonic connections, but they do not feel a romantic connection to other people. And that's kind of where my understanding of it ends. I, because I, I like to joke that um, because I have absolutely no sexual desire, I have like double the amount of romantic desire. I fall in love with everyone. <laughs> I'm like, I've, I've developed very like intense relationships with people very quickly. Uh, you know, I love, love, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, in the same way that I'm sure you're having trouble in some ways understanding what I mean when I say, oh, I find that person hot, but not sexually attractive. Uh, I feel that way when people are talking about aromanticism. Um, but that as, you know, on, on a definition level, don't experience romantic attraction or experience it very rarely or under very specific circumstances. Mm. Would love to talk to someone who's aromantic because the, the, the question is, are they then unable to love? Because well, I mean, do you love people platonically? Like, do you have a best friend who you're not like romantically attracted to who you say, I love you too? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and I mean, like I, you know, I so love are capable of, of loving, just not in a romantic sense. Most likely. Yeah. And the specifics of that, I am also curious to know about. So, hey, if you ever have an aromantic person on your podcast, let me know because I would love to love to hear more. Yeah. Any listeners, if you're aromantic, come talk to us. Come educate us. We really yes. want to understand this. And I, um, it's interesting. I found this, uh, this, I guess it's not a meme, but it's, it's uh, you know, those things that are posted on Instagram that have a lot of sayings. And sure. <laughs> It's actually the hashtag was asexuality, which is why I looked at it. And it described types of attraction. And mm -hmm. sexual was like, wow, I want to fuck that. Okay. I'm not bleeping. It's okay. It's called <laughs> right? Um, sensual is, wow, I want to cuddle that. I'm equating mm -hmm. that to romance. So I think most people would, but also I, I know of people who have like queer platonic relationships where they are different than close friendship, but not romantic relationships. And in some cases, people in queer platonic relationships cuddle. 
And again, like I, you know, I, I only have like a peripheral understanding of the aromantic community because they, we, the Venn diagram of aces and arrows kind of overlaps to a certain extent. Um, but I, I know a lot of buzzwords and I'd definitely be curious to hear someone from within that community, like speaking for themselves on the right. topic. And, and when you say ace, ace is what asexuals are referring yeah, to. Yeah. So yeah, ace is the shortened version of asexual. Right. And also continue with that chart on types of attraction. They also have romantic attraction. And that's described as want to date that. And platonic, I want to friend that. Aesthetic, wow, that exists. All right, fine. Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to look at that. <laughs> I want to look at that. It's, it just, you know, it's interesting because uh, it really is non-normative in that people always think that in a romantic relationship, a love relationship, sex is a natural expression of it and to hear that there are people who they can be in a relationship and just never have sex which is not your case uh sort of it's sort of hard to wrap your brain around um i guess you can go okay sure couples have been together for a long time they're like married they don't do that anymore they've become best friends but at some point it was hot probably right probably could mm -hmm. keep their hands off of each other who knows who knows Statistically, what is the percentage of the population? Do we know who are? So I think there, there, I've seen the 1% statistic out there that 1% of the population identifies, but I would, I would assume that it's a much higher percentage if people had the education and the understanding of the spectrum, because like there have been a lot of stories of like older people whose children come out as asexual and who like do research on it and realize, oh, I think this might be me because there were a lot of people, you know, back in the day who, like you just said, the traditional understanding of a romantic relationship had certain parameters in place. And so it was an expectation rather than a thing that people necessarily entered into, like, you know, excitedly. It was something that you did. You got married, you had children, How, having children generally required having sex. And so you did it. Uh, but then, you know, you were happy when you grew apart. And a lot of those people have started to, like older people have started to realize, I think I might exist on the asexual spectrum. But circumstantially, you know, I didn't have the the vocabulary to express that and explore it, you know. So that that's definitely, I think, a factor in making it hard to know what the percentage is, because, you know, the, I didn't know until I was 22 years old and I went to a liberal, liberal arts school and, you know, I had fairly progressive upbringing and progressive friends, but it's just not talked about. There's basically no representation. I think the first canonical media and TV asexual representation was the Todd from BoJack Horseman, because um, I think... I think yeah, the cartoon, the male cartoon character that I think predated the Shadowhunter show, but I'm not sure. There's only five canonical asexual characters in popular film and television. They so, are. Uh, they are Todd from Bojack Horseman, Rafael Santiago from Shadowhunters. I don't remember. I think it might be on Freeform. I don't remember. Um, <clears throat> Peridot, Peridot from Steven Universe. I don't know. She's some kind of alien character. Um, Florence from Sex Education on Netflix. She has, I think, two lines. Um, and identifies as asexual in a single line, and then it is never brought up again. Uh, and then SpongeBob SquarePants. Those are the five. Oh, SpongeBob! And, SpongeBob Squ and he's he's like canonical uh, according to Nickelodeon on Twitter. But it, I would even start to question SpongeBob because not at no point in the show does he say I am an asexual person. <laughs> you know, I am an asexual sponge. I do not experience sexual attraction. So, like, how much I put in that 
is relative, but I mean, when I did a audience. survey, people were, sorry? Who's the audience for SpongeBob? You know, it's, it's older than you'd think because it's been around for so long. It's one of those shows that kind of has like slightly, you know, wackier elements that like kids enjoy, but like older people are like, ha, huh, I get those jokes now. And because I think a lot of people grew up with it, there's a lot of people my age who like love SpongeBob still, which is very bizarre to me. I never watched it as a kid, so I didn't have that like nostalgia attached to it. But yeah, apparently there's, you know, a whole spectrum of ages that watch it. You know, you came... Did you come out to your family too, or is that none of their business? Um, so I came out to my mom and she was like, that's not a real thing. And then we never talked about it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also like that was never really a conversation that needed to happen. Cause I was, you know, functionally, like I said, already in a long-term monogamous relationship. Um, and I don't know if I specifically came out to anybody else, but like most of my film work since I came out has dealt with asexual themes. Like my most was, popular short film. I yeah, want to bring that up because you came full, like you've come full circle in a way. Mm -hmm. I have, yeah. Art, Okay, I, I really, I got to watch it. I loved it. Okay, um, thank you. Yeah, so tell us about, it was Ace and Anxious? Ace and Anxious, yes. It's on YouTube. So, Anyone can go look at it right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just passed 142,000 views on YouTube, which is very exciting. Yeah. And it got most of those views like a year after it was first uploaded. So it's definitely got some staying power. It's a little, little short film that could. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Out? So Ace, Ace and Anxious is about an asexual graphic designer who um, has generalized anxiety disorder and she learns of the stress reducing properties of sex. And as someone with anxiety was like, hmm, well, I've never tried that before. So she places a uh, questionable ad on Craigslist to enlist a sexual partner to scientifically discover if sex can actually help cure her panic attacks. Uh, hilarity ensues and um, many conversations with a very concerned therapist uh, are had. How did you come up with that idea? So I, most of the ideas that I have for like the things that I make come from like an idea, just like a base idea that I think is funny. And for this, it was like, okay, why would an asexual character seek out sex for non-romantic reasons? Well, scientific reasons, of course. Um, and also at the time that I was uh, developing Ace and Anxious, I had a lot of anxiety problems. I'd been having a lot of panic attacks that had just come back at complete random as far as I understood it, because that's something that I have since learned about, you know, anxiety and depression is that there isn't always a tangible trigger, which I found very frustrating because, you know, if it's just you know, trying to take care of yourself and be happy and like, you know, surround yourself with a support system, then yeah, great. I can, I can do away with anxiety, no problem. But if it just sort of happens, because that's how your brain chemistry is set up, well, you can't do anything about that. And so I was really frustrated with the fact that you can't just like fix it. You know, there's not like a, oh, I see this part of my job is making me stressed out. So I'll see if I can, it's like none of that. Everything was fine. Nothing had changed. I was just having panic attacks at work. So um, I, I was kind of, ruminating on that is like, how do I deal with this in a productive way? And, uh, and then I had the, the funny idea of like, you know, what's a, why would an asexual person seek out sex? Oh, for science, of course. And so I kind of combined those two concepts into a, a film. And it was very therapeutic for me, this film, because it was my directorial debut. So it was the first time I was like, fully in charge of a set. I'd been working in film sets for a while, but largely as like, actor producer, I'd never really gotten to be like, truly in charge and have like, it be my vision in the end. So that was kind of like, nerve wracking, but really exciting. And I also just like, kind of wanted to exercise, you know, like, 
perform an exorcism on all like the frustrations that I've had since like my anxiety had cropped up again and these conversations that I was having with people around me about asexuality as I was learning more about it. Um, Cause I, I filmed it a year after I came out. So I was still kind of in the thick of things. Um, and my partner and I had moved in together because we were no longer long distance, thank God. And so, you know, some things were still kind of being negotiated in our relationship. And I was just like, I want, I can't imagine what someone would do if they like, were finding out that they were asexual with outside of being in a relationship, like that must be so confusing. And I'm confused inside of a relationship. So it was just sort of everything that I was thinking about. I churned into like, what is the funniest possible scenario where I can explore this? And that's where Ace and Anxious came through. And, and it's very funny. It really is. Uh, I love the the idea of, you know, of all places to look for <laughs> someone to come you know, deflower you for, for, for <laughs> is on Craigslist, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, to someone from the outside looking in, you, the fact that you are in a relationship seems to negate this idea of not having attraction. Well, I don't think that that's necessarily true because again, like I, if my partner and I never had sex again, I would have the exact same level of satisfaction in my relationship. So you're only having sex because he, it's to please him, which is a sign of love. I wouldn't say to please him, but um, you know, different people get different things out of a relationship. So like, uh, I'll, I'll put it in a different context and maybe that'll help. So something else about my relationship is um, I, I don't really, like my, you know, love language is acts of service. So like, do something for me, do the dishes, <laughs> bring me a glass of water, um, you know, like, prove it essentially that's kind of how my love language and that's that's how I provide love to other people is I you know help out I stay late I talk somebody down you know whatever um my partner's love language is definitely physical touch so he loves cuddling he loves like being close to each other um and I don't love that all the time <laughs> I, I don't need it as often like for me it's like you know I give him a high five in the morning I'm like cool I'm good for the rest of the day uh, you know, and he like comes in and bothers me at various times of the day. And so in our relationship, we kind of had to negotiate, like, sometimes I need my space and he like, you know, will glom onto me is the word that I like to use. Like he'll like come into the room while I'm watching TV and just like cuddle up against me. And I'm like, okay, this is, you can stay for five minutes, but I need my space because I've had a really long day. Um, I love you so much. Please leave me alone. <laughs> and so that was a part of our relationship that we kind of had to negotiate in the early stage. Cause I was like, I want to be very clear. I love you. And I like being able to turn around and like see you in the room with me. Like, it's not that I don't want to spend time with you, but I can't, we can't always be on top of each other. Like sometimes I need physical space to like stretch out and not feel self-conscious about like, uh oh, is my elbow in his spleen? Like sometimes I just need a little bit of space and it doesn't mean I love you less. It doesn't mean that I am suddenly like less interested in a relationship. It just means I need a little space. Like, just please take me at my word and I promise it'll be fine. And that took a little while because, you know, of course, if you're somebody who experiences love through physical touch and somebody doesn't want to touch you right now, that's very disturbing and upsetting. But once he realized like what I needed and once I was able to really clearly like differentiate when I don't want to be touched because I'm like very stressed out and like when I get stressed out, I need to kind of spread out. <laughs> and when I am just like, fine come over here um it, it helped us recognize like who needs it more right now you know do i need alone time or does he need physical contact more and we don't bicker about that it's just sort of an understood thing that we've kind of felt out and now we just trust each other and if he needs something and you know even if i would rather be doing something else 
I am there for him and vice versa. You know, if I am like, I am overwhelmed and he's like, what can I do? You know, he's like, you need a hug. And I'm like, I actually really need you to go give me a glass of water. Like, don't touch me. I appreciate that you want to give me a hug because it would make you feel better. But what I need in this moment is a thing done for me. If you can just do get this off my plate, I will feel better. You know, so that's, I would, I would consider it something like that, where it's like, for me, I don't need sex. Sex is not something that like literally just does not occur to me. <laughs> like even with the culture that we're in constantly inundating me with sex, even as I'm like watching through the vampire diaries where everyone is horny constantly, it still genuinely doesn't occur to me as a human being that that's the thing that we're doing tonight. But it is, if it is something that uh, he is in the mood for and, you know, I am also similarly could be put in the mood for it, then, you know, I break out, all right, what do I want tonight? What, are, what am I looking for out of this interaction? And we, as you know, an adult couple, figure that out. Mm, amazing. It sounds like you have, like every good partnership, you have figured out the terms and they're negotiated and we communicate well and all is right. Yeah, it's, it's just about talking to each other, understanding like, you know, I trust you, you trust me. I know what makes you happy. You know what makes me happy. Let's do our best to make each other as happy as possible. Right, yeah. Um, where, are there asexual organizations? Like where, where, where do you find community if you need community? <laughs> uh, well, definitely get a Tumblr account if you're an asexual person in need of community. Yeah. All the asexual people are on Tumblr. Yeah, Tumblr, that's where I found out about asexuality and that's where a lot of like my fandom has been built in the asexual community because Ace and Anxious got passed around Tumblr for like a year and a half solid. Like every day I'd log in and new people were discovering it. Um, and so like definitely Tumblr. Um, I would also say that the asexual, uh, the various asexual communities on Reddit are actually really positive, which I know is a wild thing to say about Reddit. But when you get into like the identity based Reddit, like subreddits, it's a little bit nicer because why would anyone else be on that corner of Reddit? <laughs> Most of the toxic Reddit stuff is happening elsewhere. But like the identity based Reddit is actually very positive. So there's a lot of people who post on there like, I'm not sure if I'm asexual or I think my partner is asexual. I think my friend is, asexual, you know, things like that. And people are very, very warm and open. And they've got a lot of resources linked on like the sidebar of their Reddit page and stuff. Uh, and then Twitter to a certain extent, but I, I love Twitter and I can't in good conscience ever say you should be on Twitter to literally anyone. So if you like Twitter, seek people out. Uh, and then in terms of organizations, um, there are, I'm sure a handful, like there's different, like, you know, the, there's an ACES NYC Twitter account that I think might have a Facebook page and sometimes they do events. Um, but the main organization representing asexual people is AVEN, A-V-E-N, the Asexuality Visibility and Education Network. Uh, so we're, we're buds on Twitter. My production company is pretty consistently getting retweeted by them, which is very sweet of them. I like them a lot. Shout out to Avon. And that's, that's also the website where they had a bunch of like very well-organized FAQs about asexuality. Uh, and I use their website primarily for my little coming out dissertation. <laughs> right, right. And it's a good source for research. I believe that whoever started Avon was 18 when he started asexuality. David J. David, I yes. I think. David J. Yeah. He, uh, Figured it out at 18 and said, I need to, we need, there's got to be other people like me. And lo and behold, there was, mm -hmm. and they are now the go-to folks for that. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think, and this is my personal opinion, that there's anything wrong with, with someone who says they're asexual. Like, what's with the pressure to have sex? 
I think it's just what, like you, you mentioned earlier, like the, just what we assume is true is not always true. And that's been true forever. Like, you know, I think that probably somebody said that at some point about like gay people where they're like, I don't get why everyone's so upset that two men are in a relationship. Because like, just because it's not the norm, or it wasn't traditionally understood as a relationship that you could have doesn't mean that it's destructive or hurtful or harmful in any way. You know, it's it's the same as any other sexuality. It just happens to go in the opposite direction. So, you know. You are like the perfect, uh, Christian in a way, if you are, or Catholic, because, you know, sex is a big, bad no-no. So, like, asexuals can find refuge in churches. You know, you'd be fine, you'd, you'd be surprised how rare that is, rarely that is true, because, like, it's not that sex is no-no, it's sex outside of certain, ex- like, times is a no-no, but then once you're in a certain situation, like, once you are married, it is an expectation that you do it either only to have kids but you know in a lot of those religions you gotta have a lot of kids so you gotta do it a lot uh or it is when you are within that you know relationship uh it is expected of you regardless and that's why some religions don't consider marital rape to be a real thing so you know in those situations being asexual is definitely not okay no it's not it really isn't unbelievable i i I mean i thank you so much for this conversation. It's allowed me to uh, now understand the word when I see it. And uh, I don't want to say I've questioned whether I am, but it seems to me like whenever most people are in between relationships, uh, after a while, you just sort of, you're so busy with your own life, you don't even think of any creature as attractive because you're too busy. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's just that, but always. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's no it. other version. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, the, the funny thing is that for, especially for asexuality, uh, I think most people actually do have an understanding of what it means, but like only in certain circumstances, but just take whenever you're just like, yeah, not for me. It's, I'm not interested. I've got other things going on. I am fulfilled in so many other parts of my life. It's just that always. So you, it's not just a phase. Like you're not just, so you're not asexual just because, you know, it's been three months since. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's like the difference between, you know, celibacy and asexuality. Like celibacy is a choice. I choose not to have sex, but, uh, you know, like nuns aren't asexual. Asexuality is not experiencing sexual desire. There may be asexual nuns, but celibacy is a choice that you are making to never have sex. Asexuality is an innate lack of sexual interest. Amazing. Amazing. Are doctors and and scientists, like, as far as you know, like, probing and trying to figure out if there's a magic pill they can give you guys to, like, wig it up? I mean, I'm sure there are in the same way that there are plenty of scientists who are, you know, looking for a cure to the gay. But, like, the, you know, the idea that it needs to be cured is a problem. And just because somebody is looking for a cure doesn't mean that that is necessary or that it needs to be cured. Because like, what would I, why would I change? And this, like, you know, for people to ask me less questions, like why would a gay person want to change? Usually it's so they can fit, conform better into society, but that's not because they want to be different. Mm-hmm. It's because they cannot see a way that they can exist in this world. And as they actually naturally are. And so, and that's a deeply upsetting experience and no one should have to feel that way. But yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people trying to cure asexuality. 
like in my short film, somebody makes an offhand comment about how they can fuck you in the liking sex. And like, it's played as a joke as like, oh, that's a gross thing to say to somebody. But that's definitely an experience that many asexual people have had in the same way that like a lot of lesbians have had experiences where men will say, oh, you just haven't screwed the right man yet. You know, like I will, I will get you out of the lady stuff like that. That's existed any time that a non-normative thing has appeared and the normatives, you know, like the, the, the majority gets nervous not for any actual reason because no one's life has changed because of the fact that i am asexual i just happen to be asexual like that does not no one else needs to know or experience anything differently as a result of my identity correct absolutely uh i have enjoyed this conversation me too (laughs) I, i i love talking about asexuality i love talking about my short film i love educating and i i will be the first to admit that i'm certainly no expert i am an asexual person but i am learning new things every day yeah and you know and my this podcast isn't about the expert it's about someone who's really living it and you Mm -hmm. know i'd be interested in any new discoveries you you come up with (laughs) you know and we'll have you back on to just tell me like tell us more tell us more uh, and in the process, if you find an aromantic, you send them my way, please. Uh, they must be as loquacious as you are. <laughs> uh, you also have a couple of podcasts. Uh, I do. I have many podcasts. <laughs> you do. You have the gift of gab. You do one that's on just on the show Burn Notice. I do. I, I have a weekly rewatch uh, of Burn Notice. It's called Burn, Noticed. <laughs> And the podcast exists because I made that joke on Twitter. What if I had a burn notice podcast called burn noticed? Uh, And then I roped my friend into doing it with me. And now we're, we've just started recording season four. Oh my gosh. Are you a fan of burn notice? Is that why? (laughs) I love how tentatively you ask that because it's a fair, (laughs) like, (laughs) it is a definitely a fair tone of voice to ask me this question. Thank you. Uh, Yes asterisk so I liked burn notice a lot when I was a kid like I I love procedurals like procedural television is something that I actually genuinely unironically love I I am a person who really likes structure like uh if you've watched my short film you know that you know I do I like formulas I like having a just I like having a structure that I can depend on and then when I can't depend on the structure it means something you know like when you have an expectation of how a show is put together and then they change it on you all of a sudden it like suddenly matters you know and they use their their like changing of structure to be part of the story and I find that really really fascinating I love just the mechanics of how procedural television is put together when the story is fun and the characters are and when the characters are fun. So um, Burn Notice was definitely an early thing that I enjoyed. It was from like 2007, eight. So I was still in high school when it was first coming out and I was obsessed with spy stuff anyways. And so I... Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen an episode of Burn Notice, but there's a there's a narration in Burn Notice where the main character tells you spy tips as he goes through his episode. And actually, a lot of the spy tips are very useful if you are a female presenting human being in the world, because it's a lot of like how to figure out if you're being followed and how to lose a tail. So I have actually used Burn Notice tips to get out of dangerous situations when I like walk around New York City at night or when I'm driving alone at night and things like that. Like I've literally thought to myself, what would Burn Notice do in this circumstance? And remember bird stuff so like that it had a big impact on me but I never finished the show and as we've been re-watching it I have come to like realize a lot of the shortcomings of it which I always knew you know it's a procedural television show from 2007 
it is what it is. But also there's a lot that I've actually discovered I really appreciate about it and things that I didn't notice when I wasn't like really paying attention that I have discovered are like things that I really enjoy. Um, so yeah, it's, it's also just like a fun excuse to talk to my one of my best friends every week about television and story structure because we're both, you know, television writers, filmmakers, and it becomes a lot less about like what happened in Burn Notice this week as like, you know, how do we think that this reflected the times and reflects like our understanding of narrative storytelling? And that's a really fun conversation to have every week. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, listeners, you've got it. Uh, and your two other podcasts are called? Uh, the one that launched today that we are uh, recording this actually is called uh, Breaking Out of Breaking In, which is a practical filmmaking podcast with, that I uh, host with a friend of mine named Christina Rea. And we will be talking through, you know, all of the aspects of being a filmmaker and trying to break into the industry, but also maybe not playing the industry's game. So that's that podcast. And then I have a podcast that's currently on hiatus and will be for a little while longer called Brie and Chris are Depressed, which is myself and my co-host from Burn Noticed. It is a companion podcast to our web series, Sam and Pat are Depressed, which mm -hmm. is also a show with an asexual lead character about depression and anxiety. Exciting. You take, you take your, your stuff, your muck, and you make it into art. That's, that's, that's all that we're trying to do. Well, fantastic. All right, listeners. So we're going to have photos of you on our Insta page and links to all your fun stuff. And I highly recommend the short film. I think it's hilarious and also quite educational. Uh, and as this episode has been, thanks to you. So, well, thank you for having me. Of course. How do you say goodbye to your people on your podcast? Do you have a special way you sign off? Every time it's different because I have no godly idea how to sign off in a way that does not seem incredibly awkward. So I usually just lead into it and go, bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> like a true New Yorker, bye. All right, well, I guess this is how we're going to say goodbye to my listeners, because I say goodbye the way you say goodbye. So let's say goodbye together in the count of three. One, <laughs> two, three. Bye. Bye.